This is episode number 39 of the Church Collective Podcast. In this episode, I had the opportunity to chat with Chris Sly, who was on American Idol and is now a full-time worship pastor in Texas. He's really doing some cool stuff, and it's really neat to hear the story of how he grew up in a ministry family, did the touring thing, and, and really how God has called him into doing worship ministry. So here we go with the Church Collective Podcast, episode number 39. Yeah, um, you know, my parents were missionaries, so pretty much from the time that I was born, uh, um, I was, you know, I was in ministry of some sort. Um, my parents were missionaries overseas. They worked with the military, and so it was kind of the family business. My grandfather was also a missionary. My uh, three of my uncles were missionaries, and uh, so it was kind of the family business to be in ministry, and so I kind of fought it. For a long time, but I remember uh, I I made a profession of faith when I was a little kid, like four years old, and then when I was fifteen, um, I made the decision to kind of follow Christ and and you know, but at fifteen, uh, you know, at that point, your faith I think is still more of your parents than it is yours. I mean, I think that you're getting to the place where you can really make decisions for yourself. But when I went to college, that was when I kind of got to the place of really deciding. Okay, this is this is mine. This is my faith. This I'm not doing this because my parents are Christians. I'm not doing this because I was raised with a history of faith. I'm doing this because I believe Jesus is who he says he is and I believe the Bible and and so I studied a, a lot of different religions and I just kept coming back to the fact that, you know, that uh that this is what felt true uh hmm. to me. And so Ultimately, I came to the decision that this was what I wanted to chase, and and I think maybe because of my parents being in ministry, like to me, the idea of just being a Christian who goes to church and does little else is very, um, uh, it's just foreign to me. You know, to me, you you even as a lay person before I just ever felt called necessarily to go into full time ministry, I was involved. You know, I wanted to help out in some way, so it started off. You know, uh, right after I got out of college, all through college, I was working in, a, in churches, you know, uh, whenever I could. We did different ministries. Uh, I went to a Christian college, um, very conservative Christian college, but Christian college and, you know, did the whole service in church, churches during the on the weekends when we were away from school, all that kind of thing. And so after I got out of uh, college and started to travel on my own as an artist, um, I was still leading worship almost every Sunday uh, at different churches. Then I got my first job at a church, and that was kind of fun. I remember I got paid. I thought I was getting paid so much money. I made twenty four thousand dollars a year <laughs> in two thousand and three, uh, and just <laughs> thought I was making the big bucks. That's it, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, so that was my first job. I was a youth worship leader and a youth pastor, and and realized really quickly that uh, teenagers were not my calling. I just wanted to punch them in the face mostly. And uh, so then um, left that, helped start a church, um, you know, then was found this little church plant that was a campus for this new thing called multi-site. Um, this church called Seacoast Church was just kind of on the cutting edge of 
uh, multi-sites. And so they had planted a campus in um, 2005 in uh, in South Carolina. And so my wife and I got involved when there was about 40 or 50 people there. And um, the church quickly you know, exploded and I kind of became the full-time, uh, worship leader, even though I was work, you know, getting paid $300 a week and, you know, uh, picking songs and, and leading the team and all that sort of thing. So that was kind of my first foray into kind of full-time worship pastoring. Um, and about the same time was when, um, I, uh, for years people have been telling me, you got to try out for American Idol, you got to try out for American Idol. I tried out for American Idol, uh, having no clue. I'd never watched a show, what I was getting myself into. I just did it because uh, I had been doing the artist thing for a long time and ne- while I was leading worship and never quite had ever broken through to the next level, so to speak. And so people kept saying, this is your way to a record deal, all this kind of stuff. So I did it and expecting totally not to make it and just thinking that I was getting a fun free trip to Birmingham one of the the keyboard player in my band at the time was like, "Hey, I'll pay for you." He was a little, he was a wealthy older guy, yeah. he, and he believed in my talent. It was awesome, and he was like, "I'll pay for you to go to Birmingham." And I mean, who in their right mind turns down a free trip to Birmingham, Alabama? Uh, <laughs> not this guy. That's pretty so, sweet. <laughs> yeah, so we went down to Birmingham. I tried out, and it ended up being, um, you know, this year long process. Uh, and man, it, it was it was awesome, and God had His hand in it. You know, um, people ask me a lot if I would do it all over again, and most days I say you know no, but <laughs> some days I say yes. And you know, ultimately, you know, really the thing is, is that it it allowed me to be on a bigger platform. I just thought it was a different platform than what God ended up having. Mm. Um, I've been trying to do the artist thing forever as a songwriter and. Um, and I really kind of, I've always kind of separated the praise and worship side. What I did as a worship leader, very far away from my artist thing. And even though I consider myself a Christian artist, like I, I gravitated towards like the Stephen Curtis Chapman's and the Michael W. Smith's and, you know, like nineties, you know, what I think of the heyday of Christian music. Yeah. That was what I wanted to do. Unfortunately, like, you know, praise and worship as a genre, came in and kind of uh, ultimately ruined what was great about CCM. Mm. Um, You know, before we had church music and we had, you know, artist music, and suddenly they're kind of this kind of incestual couple now that are mixing and, you know, becoming together. And some people love that. I had a hard time with it, Um, maybe because in my brain they were two separate things and, so for a while, I tried to. I remember we figured out one time that between American Idol gigs and in the first four years after American Idol, between American Idol gigs where people actually were asking me to come and do American Idol gigs and turning down worship leader gigs, I had turned down close to $250,000 worth of gigs just because wow. I was like, I want to be an artist and I take myself seriously, you know? Yeah. And, um, then I was making my second record after American Idol, and um, and I kind of prayed this dumb prayer. I was kind of at a place where I was what I would call like a you know B and a half level artist. Like I wasn't you know I wasn't Toby Mac or Chris Tomlin, but I was also wasn't like you know the bands that have to pay to be on tours kind of thing. You know, <laughs> right. I was headlining and selling tickets, and you know I, I was you know pretty successful as an artist. And um, and so then I remember praying this prayer like, God, 
um, you know, I was gone 300 days last year uh, and I made X amount of dollars and it wasn't a lot of money. And I really want to be able to take my family out of the road. So my, I, you know, my wife was pregnant with our first kid and I saw, so I was like, so either make it big enough that, that you can just, you know, that I can take my family and be a family out on the road or just take it away. And of course, in my mind, I expected that he was just going to blow it up and I was going to be, you know, the biggest thing since Chris Tomlin. And um, and in just really, really clear ways, he took it all away mm-hmm. in ways that were just it was too much of too many coincidences. And so I just knew that this was God's way of saying to me, you know, I had when when I walked when I left my record company, um, I had other record labels that were interested in talking in talking. And I just made an active decision that I felt like God was calling me back into church work. I wanted to be home. Uh, we had had our first little girl named Kira back in 2010. And um, and I just I just felt like I was supposed to be I felt like I was supposed to be home. And uh, and so. I slowly started to move myself out of this artist career that I'd worked my whole life for and moved back into church. And it was like suddenly all the things that I felt like I was missing during my artist career, feeling like I was feeling like I had, um, you know, like there was just this piece of me that wasn't being fed or this piece of me that wasn't being met need a need that wasn't being met. I found in church work that that was it. Like that was what I'd been called to all along. I just had to, I had to chase that artist thing and, you know, to see if it could happen because I would have always questioned whether or not it could happen, you know? Hmm. And, um, and so now I look back and I'm like, God had this very, very intentional plan that brought me exactly to the place I am now. I'm the shore, I'm the worship pastor for a church called Shoreline Church in Austin, Texas. It's a church of about 7,500, and um, and man, it's just it's just a great, great, healthy church um, that I'm excited to be a part of. And really, the the skills that I've learned over the last ten years of both being in a church, being in churches, small churches, and then being an artist prepared me for where I'm at right now, which is leading a huge team of people. And now I have uh, seven people on my staff and um, seven other people on my staff, as well as a, a, a volunteer base that's at about 100 right now. And w- within the next year, we'll be, you know, 250, 300. And so it's, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy ride. But looking back, it's been this awesome thing that God has orchestrated all along. That's awesome. That's a really, really cool testimony. Um, with uh, a church of that size, maybe talk a little bit like a a lot of the worship leaders that tend to listen to the podcast. Uh, I know my church is about 1500, 2000 people. Um, 7,500 is a whole nother ball game. Could you maybe just talk about like what that's like in the day to day with that many people. What's like your your worship ministry function and look like? Yeah, um, you know, I didn't really sleep the first six months I was here. <laughs> that's the that's what uh, I mean. I remember we have uh, our our auditorium seats forty six hundred, and um, outside of the American Idol tour, I've never really played. You know, even even my biggest tour, I think we were playing like two thousand people. Um, you know, so it, it was a little nerve wracking and I was coming into a situation too, where the worship pastor before me had been a black gospel guy. <laughs> um, in fact, he's one of Kirk's, uh, Kirk Franklin's background singers, amazing, amazing worship leader. 
and um, and they just felt like God had called them to change their style to a more like um, you know Hillsong, you know Hillsong meets Bethel kind of thing. Sure. And so I was kind of the next natural step. They tr- started to change the musical style a little bit. But it'd be like coming to me or you, you know, I think from what I know about you, you're more of a rock guy. I'm definitely more of a rock guy. Sure. It'd be like coming to us and being like, hey, we want you to do these black gospel songs. <laughs> right. Ultimately, they're probably going to end up sounding more rock than black gospel sure. just because of our of my sensibility. Right, right. And so I think it was the same thing. Like, I remember watching video and like being like, I recognize this song, but it sounds so weird. And then I realized it was a Hillsong United song. That was like a super up like rock and roll song that somehow had been turned into a black gospel ballad. It was and, and so basically they had started to do some of these songs, but they were still doing them in like you know a very gospely kind of style. Yeah. So the next step was to find someone who could be that worship leader that does the thing. So not only am I playing for more people than I probably have ever played for consistently, but I'm also. Um, you know, changing the completely changing the culture. So, uh, my first about four and a half, five months here, I literally didn't sleep. I mean, Saturday nights, I would try to go to bed at 10 o'clock, you know, since I have to be up and I would average about three hours sleep a night. So for just from a straight, uh, from a straight stress standpoint, it's pretty unbelievable coming into a uh, church this size. And it's a very production oriented church or it has been, I'm kind of slowly trying to change that culture, you know. Um, So, um, but yeah, I guess on a day-to-day basis, I guess what my job looks like is, um, you know, we have two campuses. We have our main campus, which is about 62 to 65, somewhere in there. Um, And then our second campus is about 1,000 to 1,200. And so my daily basis, you know, daily job kind of thing is just, Making sure that everything gets done that needs to happen for rehearsals. Um, up until recently, we had paid players, so that made it a little easier. Like we paid all our players, um, and it actually was a blessing. I'm glad that we were not all volunteers because stepping into it, I think it would have been overwhelming mm-hmm. to have done that. But we quickly have moved away. In fact, uh, as of June 1st coming up, um, we will no longer be pl- paying players. We're moving to all volunteers again. The church forever was all volunteers, and then about five, six years ago, they went to paid players, and now we're moving away from that again just because I feel like we're missing an opportunity to really raise up leaders and really raise up um, you know, musicians that can, uh, can lead our team. So yeah. uh, m- m- kind of looking into the future, what my job is turning into – is a lot of management. We just hired three new people, uh, four new people actually. And so our total staff is going to be seven. Plus I have a youth worship leader that I, uh, have about 50% of. So I have seven and a half people. And, um, and so it's just a lot of management and making sure everything gets done. Our Wednesdays, um, are turning into, um, kind of all worship days. Uh, we're doing songwriting. Um, our church, uh, our pastor, feel uh, strongly that we're in a really unique position of being a church our size that we feel called to be influencers, and we want to be a resource for churches that are smaller than ours. And uh, and that's kind of my heart also is um, – uh, 
is I just feel called. Obviously, God has given me the gift of songwriting and and that sort of thing. And I and I was worried that as I went back into church work that I would lose you know that side of what I do. Hmm. But here it's it's awesome because it's being encouraged and to train up songwriters and teach people to write songs. So we've begun introducing original songs, which is awesome. And uh, and then our Thursdays, pretty much from ten o'clock in the morning till about nine o'clock at night, are full day rehearsals. We have a staff arranging in the morning where we arrange for four weeks out all the songs, and then um, the afternoon is a staff rehearsal where we just go through the set list for that night, and then we break at about four thirty ish and. Uh, and whoever's down south heads down south to our second campus. Whoever's up north stays around and gets ready for rehearsal with volunteers. Hmm. And then our volunteers come in, and we uh, rock about a three-hour rehearsal. And so wow. it's a it's a it's a pretty full-time job. I think I've averaged about sixty-five hours a week since I got here. So. Yeah. I love like most people think you're a worship pastor. That means you get to read your Bible and sing, like, and that's your job, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I wish I could read my Bible more. Like, that's I know. The yeah. <laughs> I wish I could read my Bible more. So, so that's that. That brings up a good point. What What do you do to keep yourself close to God in the midst of all the craziness of just the work or the ministry? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it's I. I have to. I think I'm a borderline workaholic. Um, I I like work. I I like feeling like I'm accomplishing something. And so there are mornings where I mean, I think from a relationship standpoint period, I think we as worship leaders have to be really careful that we protect our relationship with God and we protect the relationship with our family. So like this week for instance was a slower week. And so um normally I I would leave my house at about 8:15, 8:30 in the morning, get to work, it's about 15 minute drive to work and on average leave about 6:30 ish, get home about 6:45, 7 o'clock. And so this week I just knew that we had less going on and so I forced myself to stay home in the mornings and spend time with my family and uh and I also forced myself to just spend some time reading. Um, you know, reading scripture and reading through like some, I've got some worship leaders that, um, you know, I read stuff on the church collective and read different worship leaders around that I have kind of found blogs that I, that I really like. And, um, and so I, I just tried to spend time meditating. And I think also to, you know, we're entering into this phase where, um, from a songwriting standpoint, where we feel like God is calling us to write more songs and you can't just, at least for me, I have a hard time just writing songs unless there's some sort of input also, mm. you know, that I'm getting something, uh, chasing after God and reading scripture and, and downloading in that way so that then I can pour it out in, uh, you know, in, in lyrics that hopefully our church and many other churches are going to sing. So, yeah. uh, yeah, that's, I, I just have to force myself to do it. <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes that's just basically what we have to do. So if you're listening to this and you feel convicted by that, just stop listening to the podcast and pick up your Bible or grab your Bible while you're listening to this or something. But it's just vi- vitally, yeah, vitally important. And, and it, I, I had a mentor of mine years ago who has told me um, he works with like a bunch of worship leaders, and he was saying that uh, it bums him out that that by and large he'd say most worship leaders maybe read their bible for you know 20 minutes during an entire month just from what he knows yeah. and and i think worship leaders especially 
it's really easy for anybody really to set their Bible aside. But for us, uh, especially, it seems like we can just get so busy doing everything about God and never actually be in communication with God. So for yeah, sure. that's a good encouragement. Yeah. So in touch too, you mentioned your, your rehearsals are three hours long. Could you kind of talk, what, what do you do with those three hours to make it like impactful? I'm sure you're getting a lot of work done, but is there like a structure to that? Yeah, you know, I, I used to be one of those guys that felt like if I went more than an hour on a rehearsal that I was wasting my time. Yeah. Um, but I recently went to Seeds Conference, and, you know, I've become friends with um, with Andy, who's the worship pastor, Andy Crispin, who's the worship pastor up at uh, Church on the Move. And um, and so he he told me that when they came here, that, re- that when he got to Church on the Move, rehearsals were like an hour and a half tops. And, um, and so like, to me, like the idea of doing a four, three or four hour rehearsal, man, just, it, uh, I mean, if people show up prepared and they're ready, there's no reason why you should go longer than a, you know, and run through songs twice. But what I realized is that I was putting my view of, I was putting my view of how we should do rehearsal through the sieve of my skill level, Hmm. which is, you know, I'm a pretty good musician. I can pick up an instrument. And even if I haven't heard a song, I can usually play along with it by the end of the first verse and, you know, figure out where chords are going just because for so long I've done this. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, why can't these people be, you know, get this? You know, it's not hard. And as a singer, I expected singers to be able to, have the um you know stage presence and the and i just realized that i was being selfish with my own time honestly so basically what we do is we we uh we meet at about um 6 30 and we go um we go through the songs from 6 30 to 7 15 we go through the songs uh singers are in one room band is in the main room and we just kind of work through everything you know with vocal parts um vocals are working on what they're going to be singing which for us is pretty easy it's usually just unison and then we have one if a guy's singing we have a female part above and a male part below and only one person is singing each part so it's pretty simple like we try to keep vocals especially coming from the you know the black gospel days here at shoreline where it was like nine ten people on stage and they're all singing a different part and All all that kind of stuff just got a little ridiculous so we're breaking it down. Then at seven fifteen, we come together and we um, we huddle for about fifteen twenty minutes, sometimes thirty minutes. We just take prayer requests and go through. And I'll usually share something that's kind of related to the message. I tell what the me- what our pastor's message is on Sunday to kind of help our team get a vision for um, for what is going to happen on Sunday. And really, I think what rehearsal has become for us is getting people to a place of really feeling comfortable to where they can actually worship as opposed to being worried about transitions or being worried about how everything goes. And so instead of an hour and a half, it really ends up being really busy being about two and a half hours to three hours. So after that huddle time, we talk through all the transitions. Then we do a run through where we just kind of, muddle through all of those transitions, you know, from song to song, from, you know, into this speaker, out of that into a song, back to the pastor, all that kind of stuff. And then the last run through, we tell people like, hey, we want full energy. We want full. It's weird doing it in an empty room. But from a production standpoint, we just have to be able to see what we've got, what needs, what works and doesn't work, et cetera. 
And so then that last run through, we just go through as if it's the service. And, um, and so we usually get done, like last night we got done at about eight, uh, 50, you know, so it was about two, two hours and 20 minutes. So not awful. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, uh, ultimately that's kind of our rehearsal is we just try to get three good run throughs through everything. That's cool. Very intentional use of that time. So it's not not about being long for the sake of being long, but actually like packing it with important things and working on it. Yeah, that's cool. Right. Very cool. So t- talk a little bit too. When when you came into your church, the church decided to change styles. What did that look like for your worship ministry, and how did you navigate that? Did you have huge turnover? Did you have a lot of people waiting in the wings? What did what did that look like? I'm sure you've got lots of stories for that one. <laughs> yeah, it's been a little bit of both. Um, you know the the um, I was watching. I was recently watching YouTube videos from our church from like four years ago, and there was there was not one person outside of one of my staff members who was not on staff back then, who is now one of my staff members. Um, there was not one person who was on the stage over like six videos that I watched. Not one person who was on stage who still sings with us now, which is a pretty high turnover, I think. I mean, I don't know how it is with with large churches this is like the biggest church i've been a part of um but i look (laughs) it feels weird um as far as like what has happened you know we lost some of the especially like you know especially some of the singers who were very close with um the last worship pastor left um pretty early i mean maybe even before i got there i think there was a lot of turnover before i even got in the pocket so Mm. For me, there hasn't been a lot of – honestly, there really hasn't been a lot of turnover for us. And I think part of that was um, I was really, really intentional about um, – that I, I've, I think I've done a really good job of making people understand that the changes that we're making is not because one way is better than another. Mm. It's just that what happened in the past was great. And Eric was an incredible worship leader. In many ways, Eric was a better worship leader than I will ever be. As far as like being able to jump around a stage and just like go crazy, that's just not who I am. And Eric was just great at that. You know, the energy that Eric brought was incredible. Um, And for what they did, man, I don't know that there was a better church that did what Shoreline did two years ago. Um, and so they were just really excellent at what they did. And so uh, if I were to come in and start with guns a-blazing and be like, what you did sucked, this is going to be better, right. then I, I think that I would have really lost credibility because it didn't suck. It was awesome, you know? Yeah. And so um, I think as I came in, um, I my dad, you know, as I said, is a missionary. And one of the things that he's told me that I think was the wisest word is he said, as you go in, Always make sure that – never lie. Don't tell lies. But as you go in, make sure that you are incredibly complimentary of where they've been. And if you do that, then that they will be willing to go where you want to take them. Hmm. And so I think that, that as a worship pastor, you know, I'm sure that there are worship leaders who have been in my position – who maybe handled it better, I don't know. Um, but if you're ever in the position of going into a church where style is changing, it's important to never talk badly about where you've been, where this church has been before you. Be secure enough in the vision that God has placed in your heart and the vision that God has placed in your leaders to hire you 
be secure enough in those things that you don't have to talk badly about what happened in the past. In fact, talk good, great things about what happened in the past. Now, does that mean that there are not things that we can do better? You know that you know that Eric didn't do as well. Sure, like, but as a on a uh, as a whole, you know, I want to make sure that I am excited about where we've been because then hopefully people will follow me with excitement to where we're going to go. Wow. That's good stuff. I think that'll, we can probably just leave it at that. Thank you so much for chatting, Chris. Yeah, man. Cool. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. As always, head over to thechurchcollective.com and connect with us. We want to connect you with others and we want to help you become better at what you do.